Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, Episode 74. This episode of the PKD Black Box is brought to you by Princeless Volume 1 from Action Lab Entertainment and the Lexington Toy and Comic Convention. Princeless Volume 1 by Action Lab Entertainment collects the first storyline of the critically acclaimed series by the team of Whitley and Goodwin. It follows the adventures of Princess Adrian, a princess who's tired of waiting to be rescued. Along with her guardian dragon, Sparky, they begin their own quest in an all-ages action adventure designed specifically for those who are tired of waiting to be rescued and who are ready to save themselves. As a product code of FEB120706 and is available for pre-order at your local retailer or online retailer such as Discount Comic Book Service at a nice low price. The Lexington Comic and Toy Convention is taking the Lexington Center by storm on March 24th, 2012. Coming to town with almost 200 tables of comic and pop culture goodness, comics, toys, magazines, gaming, horror, anime, movies, art, music, and more. March 24th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. For more information, go to Lexington Comic Con. Com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. This week's episode, I have an interview with a very talented artist by the name of Jackie Lewis. She is the artist on the Oni Press OGN Play Ball, which is currently available for pre-order this month. And then after that interview, I'm going to give you a review of a book or two. I'll tell you about a concert I recently went to, and then Donnie hops on the show, and we talk about more comics and random tangents, because you know how we do. But you know, we're going to go ahead and move to our feature presentation. I'm on the line right now with an artist that I had the opportunity to meet for three minutes two years ago at a, at a Heroes Con convention. Um, I've been following, following her artwork on Facebook and on her blog. Um, it's Jackie Makes Comics, right? Yes, that's my blog. Okay, yep. Jack, Jackie makes comics dot blogspot dot com or Jackie makes comics dot com. That's J- Jackie makes comics dot blogspot dot com. Yes. All right. Excellent. And I've been just like entranced with the artwork ever since. And I saw an article in Comic Book Resources about a um, about an original graphic novel coming out. Um, it's going to be it's going to be coming out in April. It is currently solicited right now. You can go into your previews catalog or go to your local comic book shop and say, "I want a copy of Playball." Uh, the artist. is is the one and only very talented uh, Jackie Lewis. Jackie, how you doing? Good. How are you? I am doing great. I'm, I'm doing great. Really excited to talk to you about Playball. Excited to talk about Playball. It's a really fun project. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I've read the PDF. Thanks to Oni, to Oni Press and uh, the editorial team at Oni Press for uh, giving me a PDF copy of Playball. I really appreciate that. I truly enjoyed this OGN from top to bottom. That's awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. That's good to hear. <laughs> I worked with a real bunch of people. Well, actually, you know what? Let's give let's let's give these folks their props. Playball yeah. is written by oh, and, and I hope I don't murder the, murder this name. Anunzio <laughs> de Filippis. Yeah, Nunzio DeFilippis and Christina Weir. Okay, thank you. See, like the the, the DeFilippis was was gonna get me. Yeah, it, it was gonna get me. I don't I don't like mispronouncing names. They are the writers on the project. You did all the artwork. You did the pencils and inks. 
Yes, and, yes, it is. Um, 144, page, 144 pages of sports adventure. And the thing about play ball, and I'll give the description of the book to the people, mm-hmm. the description is most girls, when they get to a new school, just want to fit in. But now is it Dashiel or Dashiel? Dashiel. Okay, cool. But Dashiel Brody isn't like most girls. A natural at softball, Dashiel discovers her new school has a championship-level baseball team, and Dashiel wants to play ball. One girl's quest to play the national pastime with the boys will turn her family, her school, and her state upside down. This book is full of all types of things you'll find in a high school setting. You'll have teenage angst. You'll have, you know, kind of like boyfriend-girlfriend type drama. The uh, envious baseball players on, on the team that, that don't like Dashiell and they end up liking Dashiell. I'm not trying to give away any spoilers or anything. But, um, you, know, you know, you have, you know, family issues. You have social issues. There are so many things that this book contains, and you know you also have baseball. You know one of you know one of one of America's you know popular sports, the quote unquote national pastime, and you have all this blended into one book, and it's not ham fisted and it's not heavy handed, and it's just it's a complete story, and I really enjoyed that. But what sold me was the artwork because when I read on CBR this book was coming out and it said art by Jackie Lewis like I did a double take I was like whoa I was like oh cool she got an OGN I got to find out about this so <laughs> I hit up the fa- I hit up Facebook and I got a hold of Jackie Jackie got back in touch with me and the rest is history we were right here together talking about this but I'm going to stop yapping <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to ask you before we start talking about you doing uh, play ball I want to know where did it all begin for you art wise? When did it all start for you? Like when did play ball start or when did comics start for me? Um, no, like when did when when did you have the, the attraction to do art? When did that inspiration like hit you? I mean, I was the kind of kid who I was always drawing. Like I was the kid in the in like our class who drew, you know, like I have I still have art from when I was like two and three years old when I would like draw cats and Mickey Mouse and stuff. So it kind of started way back then, and I always wanted to be an artist. And, I mean, I fell in love with comics because I was about eight um, eight or nine when the X-Men, cart- you know, the X-Men cartoon that was on TV came out, like, in the early 90s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, honestly, that kind of got me into comics. I mean, I was into He-Man and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles already. So I was kind of, like, in that, you know, mindset. But then, so I fell in love with the X-Men um, and I mean, honestly, kind of the rest is history. I was a huge fangirl, you know, from then on. And I always, always wanted to draw comics. And so the, the artists I was looking at at that time, because it was also like the early 90s, it was a lot of Jim Lee and a lot of uh, Liefeld. And, um, you know, I didn't draw like that. And so I never thought that I would be able to do comics because in my head, that's what comics were supposed to look like and they didn't really look like much else but yeah i mean you know so i went to school got my undergrad degree in theater but still always wanted to do comics what actually kind of got me on the path to doing comics professionally was a friend clued me into the fact that scad atlanta was opening up the, the atlanta campus was opening up you know scad savannah college of art and design yes and i looked into it and they had the sequential art grad de- grad uh, program and I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I want. You know, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I went and had a meeting with uh, Sean Crystal, who's head of the department there. And he kind of laid it out for me what the business was about and all that. And I was like, okay, that's what I want to do with my life. I've known it since I was a little kid. Um, 
let's make it happen. Like, I'm going to do it. And so I just kind of went for it. And I was always kind of ambitious anyway with that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kind of the rest is history. Like, just going to school and actually studying sequential art and, you know, bringing to it, I guess, just my sense of, you know, character performance and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, that's how I got involved, you know, doing comics professionally. I noticed that you had mentioned um, like the 90s and Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and the 90s X-Men cartoon. And like you said, like your style, you know, isn't like isn't like their style, but is still inspirational to you. The thing I've always enjoyed most about looking at your art, especially with play ball, is that. Your art to me is like a combination of a few things. It's like a combination of like I see touches of anime. I see touches of like comic strip art, you know, comic strip artwork from like newspapers. But there's also this like human, you know, humanistic side to it as well, because a lot of like a, a lot of artists I've seen over the years, they can draw they can draw the bodies, they can draw the poses and they can give physical emotion, but like facial emotion sometimes they struggle with. And the thing I've always enjoyed by looking at your art, whether it be on your blog or even through play ball, is the emotion that comes out from the characters' faces. I always say that when I'm when like I look at sequential artwork without the word balloons the character's face should tell me a story and I should be able to kind of tell what's going on without there being a word balloon and your art does that. Thank you. Yeah. That's something I really, really try to go for. And I think I pull a lot from animation. I mean, I also grew up watching, you know, Disney movies like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got with animation, you've got that squash and stretch and, you know, performance is, is what it's about. So, yeah, I guess I kind of, you know, I, I don't, struggle i'm not like how can i make it like it kind of just kind of flows out i guess Mm -hmm. you know i'm like okay she's angry here how can i you know how can i tell that without relying on the word balloons and and make it a stronger story that way and like you see this with all types of comics now because every artist does their own thing i mean if everybody was cut and dry comics would be pretty you know did the same thing comics would be boring oh yeah yeah but it's like when i see when like when i see these characters and i see the emotions they emote out it takes me back to the time and the era of guys like um in in the animation industry like bob bob clampett uh chuck jones frizz freeling those mm-hmm. ty- those types of emotions and i like seeing that in comics because to me there's nothing wrong with that and that's a great thing no yeah no i totally agree as far as i know and i may be wrong and please correct me please absolutely correct me if i'm wrong on this because like um play ball is 144 pages and now is this your biggest project to date oh yeah yeah um i've been published before in jam which was uh a, the roller derby anthology that came out with uh, oni press in 2010 in the summer 2010 but that, that was just a three-page thing, and they actually told me to take a short break from play ball because I was already working on play ball at that point oh, okay. uh, to to do, like, the three-pager for Jam. So Jam is technically my first published work, um, but but play ball was uh, my first, like, job in comics. Nice. So, so yeah, yeah, I mean, it's – and it, yeah, and it was, a, I guess, a big project to undertake for maybe my first professional work, but – 
I mean, it's what I wanted. I wanted a graphic novel. I wanted to do a long form story because that's what I'm attracted to. Mm-hmm. Um, just that's what I like to read. You know, I still like to read floppies and, and you know, monthly books and stuff. But um, but yeah, I just I love the, the graphic novel so much. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, the fact your first gig is is a is a novel of this size i mean we've heard of people whose first jobs as far as comics go they do like a three-pager or you know they do they do a cover here or there everybody breaks into the industry you know differently depending on you know what publisher you're trying to get into every everybody gets into through different venues but for you to take on you know play ball as the first project i I give you props for because and i'm sure you've seen this like being you know when you were at your time at SCAD or just within in the business itself, you'll see people who are talented that, mm-hmm. you know, if they take on certain jobs, the talent's there, but sometimes the work ethic isn't there or they, right. or, or they haven't, or they haven't learned how to build that work ethic. And they think that the talent will just take care of everything. It has to be a combination of your talent and your skill and being able to build, build that into a work ethic to deliver the best piece of art possible. Right. Yeah. And I'm lucky in that. Yeah, you definitely have to have that work ethic. I mean, it's a business, but I'm so lucky that it's exactly the kind of business that makes me the happiest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what I want to be doing. I'm, you know, I'm the happiest when I'm working on sequential art when I'm doing comics. So, you know, and trying to do as good a job as possible, I hope. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, so so I'm I'm lucky in that, you know, and I guess that lends itself to my work ethic. And I, I you know, i have high expectations of myself. I want to do a good job with everything I work on. So I hope, you know, so I I guess that kind of helps out. In this graphic novel, we have Dashiell, softball player. She comes from a divorced home. And she lives with her with her sister, uh, Erica, and her mom. Uh, they've just moved to a new town, and the school that they're that they're going to now is a co-ed school as opposed to the all all girls school they went to before. Mm-hmm. And with Erica, everything is kind of like a teenage you know drama gossip girl nine zero two one zero. You yeah. know, it's all about appearances. Yeah, yeah, it is always. It's all- Oh, oh yeah definitely and it you know it cracked me it cracked me up because i was just reading this and i was just like i remember people like that in high school i'm, I'm like hell I, I know people like that right now <laughs> yeah. yeah i like to think of erica as just like being so excited that she's in a school with boys you know she's like oh, boys oh my god like and she's like okay we have to you know we have to impress everybody and you know this is good don't be weird dashel don't be weird you yeah. know with your baseball thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, but Dashiell, you know, has that desire to play baseball. And 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 to me, like, I guess, like, play ball to me is not only just like a metaphor. It's to me, it serves as a metaphor, not only from trying to play baseball in a quote unquote guy sport. But I mean, yeah. it also apply. It also applies to a lot of other things, too. It's like people have been talking about over the past couple of years, you know, women in the comics and in, in the comics right. business or comics industry. Um, yeah. And how, like, with the bigger publishers, that there's like a lack of, of women in the co- women in the comics business. Although right now, I can say there are more women in the comics business than there are actual minorities. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, for all the ladies in in the business right now, I salute you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I honestly salute you. You know, you're, you're in the business because the business is very insular. Mm-hmm. 
but I also like I also see play ball as like that type of meta as that type of metaphor as right. you know women or minorities trying to get into a right. business and stake a claim in the business because hey we're talented just like you know the good old boys club right right yeah 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 it's totally like that and I guess um yeah it's definitely a metaphor like baseball's a metaphor for that um it's also well I guess as far as like my experiences as as you know a, a girl or whatever involved in comics has been actually really good like awesome. I I don't know like even when I was a little kid like I you know I was totally a tomboy played with the boys it was there was nothing in like odd about it at all and then I was into comics and I was totally you know, normal. I don't know. My brother was into comics, so that kind of helped out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do remember being like the only girl going into a comic book shop. I was just, I was so into like, oh my god, X Men, Wolverine. You know, I didn't, you know, I, I was just super excited about it. Yeah, and as far as like getting involved in like the business side of comics, I haven't met any kind of like resistance or anything like that at all. Um, I mean, there's definitely, it's definitely kind of like, I guess, the boys' club mentality. I guess is kind of there, but. I don't, I don't know. I've never suffered from any kind of like direct, you know, kind of sexism or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, I mean, I've been lucky in in that. I mean, it's not like I, when I was in school, like growing up elementary, high school, and I didn't advertise the fact that I read comics because I was the only kid who read comics at all. Like, I don't even remember any boys reading comics, but yeah, I don't know. It was just always a part of me and and it didn't really matter to me that I was a girl at all. I guess it was that kind of thing. You know, it was like Dasha, like she was going to do baseball no matter what. I was going to read comics no matter what. Right. No, exactly. And, you know, like, say, for instance, with like with me growing up, I remember in middle school, I was like one of the few kids in my middle school that actually that people actually knew I read comics. They they actually knew. And the only reason why they didn't know is because in English class we had, you know, everybody had a trapper keeper. Oh, trapper keepers. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Over. (laughs) Overpriced plastic that literally. Keeper right now. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Somebody came out with like, if they brought back those '80s trapper keepers with oh, yeah. with that plastic that could probably kill a nation. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, people would rock those again. But I remember having my tra- having my trapper keeper, and I had these oversized comic book bags and boards, and like I used a hole punch, and I punched a hole, I punched holes on the side, and I oh. would slide my comics into there, and then like put those in my trapper keeper. That's awesome. You're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> in school. <laughs> oh, no, but see, but like I got I got like joked on and clowned on. I remember in 8th grade in English class. Like, you know, we take breaks and and like and so like, you know, then when during our breaks, our teacher would be like, "Listen, either read something or work on your English assignment." And like I crack open my trapper keeper. I'm like, "Oh, I got my Avengers giant size annual. I got to read this right now." Awesome. And and like, you know, folks would pick would pick on me about it. I'm like, "Yo, I like comic books. You know, look, <laughs> look, I'm in 8th grade. What what y'all yeah. worried about? You know, we young. What you stressing over?" Yeah. Oh, when I hit high school, you I knew of a couple people that read comics, but but yeah. like there was this underground rule that you couldn't talk about it. Yeah. Like when the after like during when like if the bell rung and you saw that other dude that read comics or the other person read comics in the hallway, <laughs> you can't be all hype and be like, yo, you see what happened in that issue X Men Sylvester that Sylvester did? It was in Australia. It was crazy. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know, it was like this like code of the streets, and <laughs> it, it, yeah. <laughs> Like, like, no, no, don't tell anybody. Oh, oh, yeah, exactly. But like, if a dude had on a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle shirt, 
oh, that was cool. And you could talk about that for five minutes, but if you talk more about it, if you talked about it more than five minutes, then you was a nerd. Yeah. And I was, yeah. I'm like, where's the love? Can I just get a little love here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Then you get out of school and you kind of find your niche. I mean, my first real comic book friends I made in undergrad. So that was after high school and all that. And that was, actually, it was like, I guess it was sophomore year of college, actually, when I first made my, like, comic my first like comic book friend and then it's you know been i, I don't know if that's uphill or downhill from there because like now like 75 <laughs> percent of my friends are comic book people so <laughs> so yeah and it was definitely like lots more comic book people out in the world than in my uh my couple little schools <laughs> it, it, it's kind of weird in this in the stage of my life that i'm in right now it's mm-hmm. it's like that episode of seinfeld it's like i have i have like my core set of friends who to me they're my family and some of those are in comics work on comics and some are not but then yeah. i have like you know friends i know that are either in comics or love comics and then i have my friends that had that don't even I mean, they know comics exist but they're like it's cool what, whatever's clever they might ask they might ask about it but you know whatever's clever it's all good whatever's clever is totally whatever <laughs> I mean, that's an upright citizens brigade thing <laughs> oh see you, you're taking it back i haven't i haven't watched them in like ages oh my god sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you oh no you know you could <laughs> listen this this podcast is known for tangents and interruptions <laughs> i am that. i am i am not offended never ever <laughs> that's how my brain works i'm like oh that one thing let's talk about that now <laughs> yes yeah. oh no it's it's all good but like it's like the two worlds merging it's like that episode of seinfeld i guess the worlds aren't yeah. supposed to merge but you know i can like talk to a set of friends about what's going on with this whole reincarnation of like these Watchmen prequels and then yeah. I can talk to my uh, like to my non-comics friends and instead if I if I brought that up they would say oh you mean that they're, they're making comics about that bad movie <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> because a lot of my friends that weren't in the comics saw the movie because the way it was advertised, it was advertised like it's supposed to be this action spectacular. And yeah. I, I tried to tell him, I was like, it's not like that. It's not. not yeah. I'm like, you need to read the book. You need to do something before you go yeah. in there. Oh, it's all right, champ. I got it. And yeah. then I'm getting text messages of like hatred. And I'm like, I tried to tell you. <laughs> yeah, you have to know the, the source material in that case, definitely. Yeah. What do you think of the movie? <laughs> it was all right. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. It, it was like here here's my here's my whole thing about the Watchmen movie. This is this uh-huh. there are spots where visually it is beautiful. Mhm. But story-wise, yeah. to me mm-hmm. there is so much in Watchmen. Mm-hmm. There is so much in Watchmen. I really felt that even though that's a it's a long movie, and I've yet to watch the director's cut. Right. It's it's still it's a long movie, but it still doesn't tell everything. Right. And I mean, it's hard. I mean, translating you know a story like that from one medium to another. You know, I mean, I thought the opening montage was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. A hundred percent agree with you. That so was awesome. good. I think a good encapsulation of kind of the Minutemen and all that. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't know. I liked. I kind of liked. You know, the ending. And I guess this is spoiler alert for people who haven't read or seen Watchmen. Um, but like, instead of it being like, you know, the fabricated alien creature that it was, um, that destroyed New York, that it was, uh, you know, Dr. Manhattan's like energy signature. And so that was a good reason for him to like leave the planet and everything. So I I think that was maybe a good, more concise, you know, resolution for the film. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you with the kind of like, like parts were really good and other parts, you know, 
don't know. Oh no, Rorschach no. Awesome. Oh no, no. I like. I, I agree. No, yeah. Warshack was cool. I, I guess like another issue I had was was that in the comic in the comic yeah. Doctor Manhattan has superpowers. Right. I understand that, but to me, everybody else in the comic didn't really have superpowers. They're human. They're human beings that were right. just superheroes. Right. Whereas in the movie. The mm-hmm. way it's shot and the way it's visualized, it comes off as all these people are super, are really super powerful people. Yeah, I mean, I guess you get that mostly with um, Oz. How do you say his name? Ozmandias? Something Oz- like that. Yes. Mandan. How do you say his name? I w- I, w- I normally say. I Ozy- never see it out loud. It's one of those things that you read and you never say out loud. And I'm um, I'm sure I'm wrong on this, but I always say like Ozymandias. That's why that's what I always say. Ozymandias. That's hey, that works. <laughs> get some spells in there. <laughs> But yeah, I guess with him, like he's just supposed to be so, you know, smart and so well, like he's trained his body, you know what I mean? And that's why he, you know, can beat up the comedian like he does, you know, I I guess that worked for me. Yeah. Uh, But I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, but there, but there are some things, like I said, there are some things in the movie that visually look great, but as a whole, it's to me, it would fare better if Watchmen was a six to 12 episode HBO series. Right. Yeah, and so they could really get in and explore, you know, yeah, everything. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, maybe. You know, it's one of those things that will probably never happen. Comics-wise, you're getting, you're definitely getting more. Yeah, did you see the new covers for the prequels? Yeah, I saw them, and they look cool, but, like, yeah. to me, like, like, to me, it's like, you know, if you want to go get it, cool, go ahead and go get it. If you don't, that's cool, don't, don't get it. Like, I, yeah. but I guess for me, it's like, Watchmen was that one finite story. Yeah, yeah. It was the like it was that one finite story that wasn't supposed to be touched ever again. And right. and like I don't own it. DC can do whatever they want to do with it. And right. um and to me that's pretty much that's pretty much about it. Like I have no desire even though DC has pulled out big guns um yeah. for these. I'm like if it hits a dollar bin, I might take a look at it. But besides that, I just really to me I'm I'm always just I'm like I'd rather just take my money and invest it in like new stuff. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm I when I heard it was going to be a sequel, I was kind of like really like nervous about you know what might happen with it. Now now that it's definitely prequels, I'm a lot more interested in it. So I, I mean, I'll be interested to see what they do with it. I'll probably pick it up. I, I love Watchmen, and you know, I, I, I'd like to see what they do with what kind of stories they tell about the characters, what, what they try to do with it, and see the art. I'm sure the art will be awesome. So. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, that. Yeah, they won't. They won't mess that up. They no, not, not you know not unlike some of the DC New Fifty Two titles they put out there was for, as far as art teams go, um, yeah you know and then no no dis- you know, like no offense no disrespect to me like there were some spots where you know the ball was dropped with some with with some, with some of those books as far as art teams go but with, mm-hmm. with Watchmen I with this Watchmen prequel there's no dropping the ball as far as art teams it's big guns all the way I'm just not hyped for it I, I, I'm not but like you know like I said if you want to check it out cool if you don't cool it's either way yeah, I'm good. And see, and there we see. We just went on a tangent, and <laughs> see, we're, we're good. See, we got this. We got this. we got this. But I tell you what, let's go back to play ball. Yeah, definitely. As as we talked about before, this was not only your first project, but it's also your biggest project, right. and um, and it's dealing with the you know it's dealing with baseball, mm-hmm. and and like a lot of people, when they do comics, 
you know, based off sports. Like to me, as far as I know, all the sports comics I've read are anime based. To my knowledge, there aren't a lot of American based sports comics. Right. And so, I agree. Oh, <laughs> so that was like a really big pickup for me. I'm like, we get an American, you know, an American, American based uh, sports comic, you know, yeah. with, with a good story. And doing like this book, you have to do baseball stuff, you know, you, know, you have baseball action, sports action, and things like yeah. that. So yeah. in sports, sports, you know, sports tells a story. Comic books, t- comic books also tell a story. Were there any challenges on your side in being able to tell? the sports side of baseball. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anything about baseball. You know, I was um, definitely, uh, you know, a theater kid and an art kid all growing up. I, I played soccer in like second grade and I spent my time like drawing pictures in the dirt, you know, instead of actually <laughs> playing soccer. So <laughs> I was never much of like, like a sporty kid. Um, you know, so, you know, when I got, when I, this project kind of like came up and I started trying out for it, I was like, oh my God, I don't know anything about baseball. Is that going to, you know, affect, I really wanted to work with Christina and Nunzio because, you know, I loved, you know, what they did with New Mutants and I just really, you know, just I kind of wanted to leap at this chance to work with them. And they're so good to work with, by the way. I mean, they are awesome. They know their stuff. They know how to write a story. They're awesome. But, um, like with the baseball stuff, because I didn't know much about it. And I think, I think they knew it, (laughs) that I didn't know much about baseball, (laughs) but I guess whatever they saw in my art, they liked. Um, so what they would do is they loaded the script with like, with references for me to, to look at, you know, like little video clips, like, you know, on the MLB website and stuff. Um, and I mean, it was so helpful, you know, uh, and I still, I cannot, I still cannot say I'm an expert or anything about the rules or anything, but, um, but I mean, just visually, I mean, that helped me out visually so much, you know, just, just telling the story and, and trying to figure out how to, you know, draw a baseball game, you know, cause it's hard cause you've got a limited amount of space on a page, you yes. know, and baseball fields are pretty big <laughs> <laughs> and, it, you know, even sometimes you want to get like the whole diamond in there cause you need to see who's running to first and who's about to, you know, round third, you know, and stuff like that and still see, and see like, you know, where someone's hit the ball up in the air. Um, so, I mean, so they gave me so much reference and, you know, if, if I had any questions, you know, they were ready to answer it. Um, you know, and sometimes I'd turn in stuff and it wouldn't be quite right as far as like how baseball is supposed to look or, um, you know, wh- what that move is supposed to look like or how exactly to slide into base, you know, because because I, I didn't really know, you know, that there was like a specific way to slide into base even. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if I turned in something that didn't look quite right, they were like, you know, very quick to, to, to catch it and to, to give me some reference to look at. And I mean, that was perfect, you know, and I loved it. Cause I was like, yeah, that's better. That's awesome. You know? So, uh, so going into it, not knowing much about baseball, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I was definitely very receptive to, uh, to, to the critique cause I knew I didn't know anything about baseball. So if I got something wrong, you know, hopefully they would be the ones to catch it. Cause I wouldn't know. But yeah, I, I don't know. I learned a lot and I got to, you know, kind of kind of motivated me to to watch baseball on TV while I was working on pages, which is <laughs> kind of the best way to work on those pages. <laughs> I think it's great that with like writing and like editorial, you have a team that is willing to give you as much reference as possible. 
sometimes an artist can be super talented, but without proper direction from an editorial team or a writer, it can really, you know, make or break a book. And so them being able to like give you as much description as possible in the games, the reference material. See, that's great. You know, yeah. That leads to a winning situation, honestly, um, and in the creation of comics. Like I've I, in my time, I've seen scripts and like I and even I've learned some lessons the hard way. Like when I first started writing comics back in the beginning of in the beginning of getting all into this business and whatnot, I would like write scenes and I would go back and I went back and I looked at my old scripts like about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have literally given this artist nothing. How were we able to make this damn comic? <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm like, dude, you can't put in a panel they fight. <laughs> that doesn't help you know yeah. and i'm like and this was like likes from stuff like four four or five years ago and i'm like you were a dumbass <laughs> you, you can't do that and now uh-huh. and, and now it's like you have you know i make sure that when you know when i actually do write something it's descriptive and um, not descriptive to the point of an artist is about to have a brain aneurysm <laughs> yeah yeah because you, know, you don't want to go that far uh, no you don't want to yeah, go you that far you want to limit the artist and i found what's great about christina and nunzio is that they you, they you know they write what they want in the panel but they left so much room for me to kind of interpret it you know the way that i would and to tell the story you know visually take what they wrote and just tell it as well as i could like they were never too limiting they would be like okay you know they walk into school but i you know get to choose you know they're not like oh a high angle looking down you know erica has her arm you know in her you know around her purse or you know her purse on her arm you know and they would just would say what is happening in the panel and and you know i would go for it and tell the story as best as i could and i mean and i think i mean that's why i loved working from their script because it wasn't too limiting but it wasn't too vague either yeah. You know, it was just, I mean, like, just right. And they were so good to work with, too. Stuff that I did that I thought for sure they would be like, oh, no, you know. <laughs> they, they were like, no, that's great. <laughs> Something else I noticed in reading Playball is that there is a difference in tone as far as the use of of black of the use of black and the use of shading from there's a difference between like you know the high school stuff mm-hmm. and the baseball games but whenever there's the mention or the talk of um Dashiell's um father or mm-hmm. like the whole thing about the divorce and whatnot there's right. a, there's a heavier use of of you know of blacks and toning on the pages and it really serves up that emotional effect and it because it really it's it's kind of like that um not wake up call but it's Mm -hmm. just there to it changes the mood yeah it completely changes the mood and like it brings that emotional content because the content the emotional content is already there but it helps to enhance that i like that i really did that was something that i thought was um you know, and I'm sure, like, I know a lot of artists have done that and stuff, but, like, for this story, I think it really helped because those pages, to me, were the only pages that were like that. I'm glad you noticed that, yeah, that was just about storytelling and using, you know, the tools that I had, which was ink, you know, and that's a black and white medium and how to, you know, like, how many different ways can you use that? How can you use that to tell the story? So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it came down to, really. 
um, was Dashiell's like emotional state, you know, and kind of what's going through her mind and what she's going through when, when things get tough like that. Like I said, this story has a little bit of everything. And I, like I said, I personally can't, I, I can't recommend it enough. I, mm-hmm. I honestly can't. So, um, so yeah, but uh, you know, we're about, I'm about, I'm going to go ahead and hit, just hit the tangent train again. Sounds good. <laughs> and ready. growing up, you knew about, he, you know, you watched He-Man and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay, I need to know who is your favorite turtle. Oh gosh, uh, Raphael, for sure. I liked Michelangelo because he was like super fun, mm-hmm. you know. But Raphael, he was like dark and brooding, and you know, like Wolverine was my favorite X Man. So, <laughs> you know, it, like there's something about those like gritty like characters that like had a heart of gold. And I guess I'm talking more about the Raphael from like the live action movies. Yeah. You know? But, like, when I saw those live-action movies when I was a kid, I was like, Raphael is awesome, you know? <laughs> so I was on the Raphael, you know, bus from then on. Um, it's kind of awesome. Leonardo was a little bit too much, you know, like Cyclops, a little bit too much of a goody-goody leader, you know? Like, not <laughs> too interested in him. Donatello was kind of rad, of course, you know? But, I mean, he did machines, you know? I wanted to hang <laughs> Raphael and kick some butt, you know? Yes. So. <laughs> So uh, definitely Raphael. Definitely Raphael. <laughs> See, every everybody I know is all about Raphael. Because he's awesome. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> See, I remember I remember uh-huh. when I, when we first saw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, all my friends thought that like pretty much said that Raphael was like the black was the black dude of the group. Oh yeah? Because they was like he, you know, he's like he you know, he just he takes no gruff and, and like he got to say damn like twice. And, <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, because like, you know, when you're watching that as a kid, you're just like, Whoa, did he just cuss? Yeah, when you're a kid, you're like, that's my favorite character. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's like... And like secretly, like under your hands, you're like, damn. Did I say that? (laughs) But um, I was was the same way. Like movie-wise, it was about Raphael. Uh, Mm -hmm. Cartoon-wise... Mm-hmm. When like when I first started watching it, when I first started watching the cartoon, it was about Michelangelo. But Michelangelo, yeah. cartoon wise, was a little too goofy for me after like like yeah. episode ten. I'm, yeah. I'm like, you know, say dude one more time. You got one more time to say dude, and I'm done with you. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, but he had nunchucks, so I had to like him because he had nunchucks. That's awesome, because he just, you know, it's not even like you know, cutting people with, you know, not that they did this in the cartoon, but like with a sword, you know, you're like, you're just beating people with nunchucks, basically. Yeah. You're just like, how hard can I hit you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's nothing like blunt force trauma. Hey, yeah. you know, you, you can't yeah. beat that. But yeah. on the cartoon, I was a fan, more of a fan of, you know, Leonardo, uh, you know, cartoon, cartoon wise. And it's just, <laughs> but it amazes me how much, how many different platforms the turtles have had, you yeah. know, for decades. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you, you, I mean, we could all like talk to somebody, mm-hmm. and and like we could all talk to different individuals, and they will each have their own vision of what their turtles are. Right. Yeah. And and to me, that's yeah, that's, that's that's pretty amazing for like something that was just like a black and white comic that wasn't supposed to go anywhere. Right. Yeah. It's wild. I didn't even realize it was a comic until. 
much later, you know, and it was, and at that time it was the kind of comic that I wasn't interested in and maybe even a little bit like, what is this? Oh my God. You know, cause I was a kid. I totally agree. Yeah. And I guess my, my, my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were the cartoon. And then when the movies came out, I was like, nothing can be better than this. You know, <laughs> you remember when they did that concert that they, Oh, the coming out of the shells tour. Dude, I have that tape somewhere. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you Being don't. Out of our shells tour. Oh my God. It was awesome. Sponsored by Pizza Hut. Oh my God, was it? Yes. Oh, I liked pizza for a reason. Because <laughs> Pizza Hut told me that oh. I want pizza for sure. <laughs> oh, my God. oh yeah, they sponsored that because the turtles love pizza. So Pizza Hut was like, we got to cash in on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. A, a live action turtles rock show. And, yeah. you know, that is about as crazy as Silver <laughs> Hawks on Ice. <laughs> What's Silver Hawks on Ice? Is that a thing? Oh, no. Oh, you never heard about that? Oh, I got to tell you then. Okay. What was it? Back in, back in the 80s, <laughs> back, back in the 80s, there was a company called Rankin Bass. Rankin Bass, they were the creators of Thundercats. Oh, yep. And yep. That's they, another one that was totally awesome. Yes. Still kind of love with Thundercats. <laughs> yes. And they also, had a, they also had a couple other cartoons. Uh, one was called Silverhawks. And uh, they also, and Silverhawks were, as the cartoon said, partly metal, partly real. They were like part cyborg, part human, and they had like these like, you know, metal outfits. And when yeah. they extended their arms, wings would come out from under their arms. Each of them yeah. had like a different power. Yeah. And, and they had yeah. a spaceship and they fought like this Mumra-like dude. And That's fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so, but like it was, you know, it was, it was real popular. And what somebody did was they took like... Thundercats, Silverhawks, and a couple other random cartoons and put them on ice, ice skating. That's amazing. <laughs> I want that. I want that to be my life. <laughs> it's like the, every week. <laughs> the, the 80s and early 90s, you know, the use of cocaine was so heavy. <laughs> they came up with some of the best stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like it's like Power Rangers on ice. It's like, yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> That's kind of rad. I gotta be honest. I never was the Power Rangers. It was a little bit after my time, um, being into like you know the kids shows. I guess at that point, but that that sounds kind of amazing. Yeah. Gotta be honest. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm somewhere there is some footage of like the Silverhawks and all these folks on ice, and I gotta find it just so I can just watch and say what the yeah. hell is this? Oh, look it up on YouTube. I bet you know just Google it. <laughs> somebody's got to have the video somewhere <laughs> oh, oh yeah some somebody has waited their entire life to say i can finally show the world this <laughs> remember silverhawks yeah yeah no i don't i actually i don't remember silverhawks at all oh, i was yeah. all about teenage mutant turtles and care bears and dino riders and he man you know she ran all that of course wow you you just you just said dino riders you, you know what you see you once again are I taking me back some dino riders <laughs> I still have them around somewhere. I'm looking on my desk. I think I have a Velociraptor somewhere. That is awesome. Uh, man, I was so into dinosaurs. That was something about the 80s that everybody was like, dinosaurs are amazing, you know. <laughs> and, you know, they were in their renaissance, you know, in the 80s. And yes, so I was obsessed with dinosaurs. I knew, like, all their names. I don't anymore, but I did at the time. <laughs> so. now, now, did that, did that, I'm sorry, tongue-tied. Uh, did, did that no. also include... Uh, Denver, the last dinosaur. Oh my God! I could sing you the theme song. <laughs> I kid you not. I could sing you the theme song to that video. I have that somewhere too in a box, like that VHS. It's probably disintegrated. <laughs> I remember, like you know, getting up in the morning, getting ready for high school. <laughs> 
going you know, like getting ready getting ready to like hop on the bus to like get a ride and and I always wanted the six thirty cartoon to be something I wanted to watch before I left. Yeah, yeah. And it would always be Denver the last dinosaur and I would be oh so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Denver. <laughs> like skateboarded and had sunglasses and like he was a dinosaur. Like how much awesomer can you get? <laughs> I I know. It's it's like a bunch of execs got together. It's like listen Kids really like Spuds McKenzie, but we we can't like do a cartoon about a beer drink about a dog that endorses beer. What do you got? D- dinosaur on a skateboard. Go. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, I, and, I, and you have a cartoon, and it's amazing. Yeah. I don't think there were any toys. I don't. I never had a Denver toy, but uh, but man, that show. Yeah. Was it a show or a movie? I just no, had no, no. one. It was. One. A, it was a show. It was a television yep. show. Yeah. I Maybe mean, I had a VHS with like a couple of episodes on it or something. Mm-hmm. But that's what I had. And that's what I watched until, you know, probably burned through it. <laughs> uh, it is amazing the number of people. You say the words Denver the Last Dinosaur and like their eyes like perk up. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. And then they get like all hype and excited. And I just like shaking my head. I'm like, I can't hate on y'all because I got my stuff too. I, I got my stuff too. So I can't be, yeah. I can't hate. I just have to appreciate and just leave it at yeah. that. But um, <laughs> I don't hate Denver, man. He came from from Dino World. God, I, yeah, I don't know. I remember part of the theme song, and now I'm like, you know, that whole like beat that they go into when it's like a little flashback to like prehistoric yeah. times. Oh, that was awesome. I was like, I want to go to Dinosaur Land. <laughs> Probably why I love the Savage Land in X Men. I was like, yes, yes dinosaurs. It's rad. <laughs> Wolverine beat up beat up that T Rex. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, like kids of the 80s, like, you know, they love their their cartoons and their the toys and stuff. And they are dedicated still. Like, I'm still loyal you know, to like the 80s stuff. Oh, oh yeah, like, definitely. That was the best stuff. <laughs> definitely. I got OK. I got I got one last. I got another tangent question for you because you also yeah, talked about it. you talked about She-Ra. And I talked about this with yeah. another one of our guests, like on an episode a while ago. But mm-hmm. can you explain to me? Yes, I'll see if I can. Can you explain to me why in the world? Would mm-hmm. a character named Lionheart wear that outfit? Wait, was that the guy with the like fancy mustache yes. and like the heart on his chest? Yes, because uh, it was the eighties, and dudes loved to show their midriffs and <laughs> tight cuts in their spandex, and, and there was nothing wrong. And that guy had a rad mustache, man. I would date a guy who dressed like that. <laughs> Yo, he had that Timothy. <laughs> he, he had that Timothy Dalton Flash Gordon mustache. Which is beautiful and amazing and super masculine. <laughs> yeah. And no, I still, and I'm, I tell you, I keep telling you, I still have these toys. I have, still have my She-Ra and He-Man toys. And that, and that guy, what's his name? Lionheart? See, I don't even know because I haven't thought about it in a long time. Yeah. But he had like a button in his back that you would push. Yeah. And the, and the heart on his chest would turn red. That is crazy. And it still works because it's just like a little piece of plastic, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. You know how girls like fall in love with Wesley from, uh, from Princess Bride? Yes. He was my Wesley. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ain't mad at you because I, I dig the Princess Bride too. That was my flick when I was when growing up. That was my flick. Taped it off HBO. Played it yeah. until the tape broke. Oh yeah, because I mean yeah, Princess Bride has everything, and it has Columbo. So you that know, just kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even know who Columbo was. You know, I think my mom used to watch Columbo. You know, probably about the same time. But I don't know. Oh, yeah. It was just the granddad. Yeah, yeah, I just I remember being a kid and my mom be watching. My mom would watch Columbo, and I'm like, "What's this?" Mom be like, "Columbo." I was like, "Can I watch?" She was like, "Yeah." So I start watching. I start asking questions. She'd be like, "You know, hush, boy. He's gonna solve the mystery. Hush." hush. <laughs> 
Yep. Like, I definitely watched a little bit of Murder, She Wrote when I was a kid and kind of loved Angela Lansbury because of that. She's kind of kind of bam. She's awesome. <laughs> you know, I can never, as a kid, I could never watch Murder, She Wrote because I always expected her to show up with the family from Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> crossover special that would have been a big thing right yes yes see but see but television wouldn't have been they they wouldn't be ready for that they 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 couldn't handle that that's just too much awesome that's too much yeah yeah too much awesome would have exploded yes oh child you know child's like heads they would get like aneurysms and they would just their nose would just start would start bleeding because they just couldn't handle all that too much way too much yeah yeah but um not even sure that I, as an adult, could handle it. I think I'm, that might happen to me too. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you you might have to. Yeah, you might have to pull yourself back from that one. You might have to pull. No. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never played Dungeons and Dragons before. Right. Never have. As a kid, I bought the Marvel Comics Dungeons and Dragons sets for this for the simple fact they had cool artwork in them. Right, right. And that was it. I, I never did anything with them. I just kept them. Like, oh, this looks awesome. Nightcrawler looks cool. <laughs> and I'll never play this. Um, but um, what was that? Marvel did what? They had a Dungeons Dragons comics. No, no, not comics. What they did is they had um, they had like their own Dungeons and Dragons games, D and D games. Um, oh. I did not even know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like uh, TSR did those. TSR did them, and like there would be these books, and and like the X Men. One of the X Men one ones was uh like they were in arcades, um you know deadly game game room or whatever. Right. And. That's awesome. Oh yeah, and like basically, I think like the name of the game was was that you had to survive and, and like escape arcades, deadly game room, and right. they gave you like you know your list of characters and each and in the book they told you your story, how it goes down, and they gave you right. the characters and like they had like the artwork and mm-hmm. like uh, like that you know Marvel Universe handbook descriptions of all the characters. Sure, yeah. And to me, that was like awesome because I love that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Ate yeah. it up, and um, and I also had the DC Comics role playing game too. That's awesome. I had no idea they had this. Oh stuff. yeah, and the scene the DC Comics one was cool because they had like all these books with like all the characters and all this artwork and then they had these cards that had like yeah. the the Jose uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez artwork. Uh-huh. And like to me like that's like one of my quote unquote art gods. Right. And like when I saw that as a kid like I was just like <gasps> And like I took all the cars and I would just like line them up all over the floor and just like look at them forever. Like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and um, but I never played these games, but I just always just like looked at them and I knew about regular Dungeons and Dragons. And right. you you are a dungeon master. I um, am. <laughs> yes, and, and and it's cool. It's cool. Like the only thing I know about dungeon masters is from an episode of regular show. <laughs> I haven't seen much of regular show, but, but yeah. <laughs> but regular show is also hilarious is a, when I do see it. <laughs> yes, it is a it is a great cartoon. Any cartoon that can have a montage segment and use new kids on the block hanging tough and make it work gets props. That's uh, kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but um, can you break down to me from for me? Can you break down for me what a dungeon master does in in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, I mean I'm brand new. To, I mean like I've been playing um, with my group. Um, since June or July or something like that. So it's been a few months. Um, but I just started 
you know, doing like taking on the dungeon master duties for the past like three or four sessions. So I'm still kind of, you know, wading through it. Um, what I do, and you can do it a couple different ways. You can follow the books. Um, like they'll lay out like an adventure for you or maps or whatever. If you, if you have the books and you want to do it that way, what I kind of do is, um, I've taken what our first dungeon master, um, kind of his map and his story that he he set up and everything. And we have like an overarching storyline and we do dungeons and we do, you know, adventures each, each session and stuff kind of heading towards a, a final goal. Um, so what I've done is just kind of taken over that, um, expanded the map to go to different places. Um, and I just make up locations and we're after like certain objects. And so, you know, kind of, kind of make it all up. Of course, we've gotten to the point now that we're also comfortable playing that now, like, Whenever we go to a town, they're just like, let's kill everybody in the town. And I'm like, oh, good thing I didn't plan anything great for this town. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the past couple sessions, everything we come across, they're like, murder it, you know. <laughs> I'm like, no, there is a story. <laughs> Don't murder everything. <laughs> but you know, but it, it's really fun. I mean, so so those are kind of like, like my duties is coming up with, you know, and I've gotten kind of anal about it. Like, I've laid out grids, you know, that I've set up, and I, I'll, like... You know, because we work on, like, the map with the little, you know, the grid on it mm-hmm. um, with, like, little dry erase markers and stuff. Um, so so I, I like, I, I plan out grids um, for, like, a map because I know if I start just, like, drawing a floor plan, I'm going to, like, run into, like, you know, walls and not have room for doors and stuff for us to get through places. Um so, yeah, I mean, that's what I do. I plan out maps. I kind of figure out, like, where we're supposed to go. But, I mean, what you do as a dungeon master, you can't be like, okay, we're going here now. You give, you know, your 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 players, like, the information, like, a map. And, like, oh, you know, if they're talking to a character in a town, you can be like, oh, here's the latest gossip. That place over there seems like a likely place to go to. <laughs> but then your players decide what to do. And you're just like, what do you want to do? You know, and keep the story, like, moving. Yes. And I found, you know, even just playing Dungeons & Dragons and, um, and now, dun- you know, being the dungeon master, like... Um, it's good for storytelling stuff. Like you just, you have to come up with stuff kind of on the fly when suddenly your, your players are like, no, let's go in the opposite direction. <laughs> you know, let's, let's, let's go see what's up this cliff, you know, like, and then you're like, Oh, I didn't plan anything, but let's, you know, make up something now. So, so it's good. And when you're playing like dungeon mastering one thing and you know, when you're playing, you have your character and, and it's a lot more fun if you're in character kind yes. of. You know, and you're like, okay, you know, my character does this. And, you know, as a dungeon master, and I've actually found it easier as a dungeon master to do this, you have a ton of characters that you kind of have to come up with on the fly. And it's a lot more fun if they're kind of individual, not like with Baxter, you know, but it, when you when you say what they're talking about and stuff, you're like, if you have like a little voice to go with it or whatever, like, so it's good for characterization. It's good for, you know, coming up with characters and it's good for kind of filling out a story and filling out kind of a world and like... You have to just, you know, it's it's exactly like that episode of Community when it's like you describe yourself walking and you describe, you know, what's going on. Like, that's what you're doing. But, I mean, it's it's kind of awesome. You know, when you're a kid and you're like, okay, you do this and I'll, I'll say this and then this will happen. And then you do it, you know. It's kind of like that. It's really fun. It's been a good excuse to get together with friends, too, you know, every week. And that's good. See, I, and I and I appreciate that description of Dungeons and Dragons. So that, that gives me a better insight on it. You know, it, <laughs> you know, I know it's I know it's not just three people, three or four people with like right. with like jacked up masks that are made out of aluminum and cardboard.
before we go, once again, the book is called Play Ball. It is right now available for pre-order. You can look in the previews catalog under Oni Press, O-N-I Press, or you can go to uh, OniPress.com, www.oniPress.com to find out more about Play Ball. Um, It will be in comic book stores in April. Um, You should also be able to, you know, find it on Amazon and other book places and venues like that. But once again, being a independent, you know, being part of an independent publisher myself, I can't stress enough the importance of pre-orders. Mm-hmm. So uh, Playball is available right now for pre-order at your local comic book shop, your online retailer, or whoever you get your books from. You can go pre-order it now and get your copy in April, and it will be so fresh and so clean. <laughs> now, can you tell, Jackie, can you tell the people where they can find you on the Internet? Um, you can find me at JackieMakesComics.blogspot.com. Post there, you know, I'll write up, you know, a little article or I'll, you know, post whatever art I'm working on as often as I can, um, which is pretty often. Um, I kind of can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've got some contact information on there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, JackieMakesComics.blogspot.com. Um, so it's pretty easy to remember. That's the best way to, to kind of check me out and everything online. All right. Most excellent. Very cool. Well, well Jackie, thank you for coming out and um, thank you for spending time on the PKD Black Box. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And remember now, if I see you at a con, make sure <laughs> make sure that you have your Lionheart figure and I will try to find my old school Thundercats Lion-O with the battery pack. Awesome. With the battery pack and you put the battery pack in the back in his back and his eyes light up. Oh no, that's awesome. <laughs> they can find Yes, we can. That would be really cool. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Kung Fu Grip Studios. Arg, pow, zap, stick. That all sounds great, but how does it look? Comics just don't have the same zing when they're all written in Helvetica. You need a letterer to bring your comics to life. And Hassan Pashal has been a professional comic book letterer since 2007, with work appearing in Femme Force and other independent comics. Fast, affordable, and always creating, Pashal's designs are unparalleled. Visit kungfugripstudios.deviantart.com to see his work in action for lettering that brings comics to life. kungfugripstudios.deviantart.com There have been some things that I've been dying to talk to y'all about, and I'm glad I finally get a chance to do it. The first thing that I want to talk to y'all about is a comic. It's a digital comic. Um, it's based in the UK. It's by uh, Words and Pictures by Andrew Tunney, uh, with assistance by KT Coop. It's called Girl and Boy. And currently, you can get this comic at www.andrewtunney, and that's Tunney, T U N N E Y dot com slash comics slash girl A N D boy. And it's suggested for mature readers. I'm going to let you know that right now. It ain't for kids. This is for adults. It's got even got the suggested for mature readers tag on the comic. So, you know, so you ain't getting stuck in one of those Red Hood and the Outsider situations. It's just straight up. This is for mature readers. So dig it. All right. Now, the story is about two superheroes, girl and boy. Together, they fight crime and they also fight loneliness because neither of them wants to be lonely or at least you think the both of them don't want to be lonely and they want to be together forever for the rest of their natural lives girl has her interpretations of what their relationship means 
boy has his interpretation on what the relationship means. The book isn't about crime fighting. There are similarities between crime fighting and love and relationships in this book and the highs and lows that they can bring. But the story itself focuses on the relationship, focuses on sex, uh, you know, adoration, what love is, the anxieties of love, all this stuff. And it's a black and white comic and it's drawn. It's just beautiful. It's beautifully drawn. Uh, the grayscales are nice. The tones are nice. The lettering is very concise. This is a great comic. This is a fantastic one shot. Um, for any of us that have either been in love, fell in love, head over heels in love, and it doesn't matter if that's with a person or with a project that, you, that you've been working on, to then find out that what you thought it was isn't what you think it is. And how do you reclaim yourself and your own identity within that? I discovered this comic is because Andrew Tunney, I follow him on Twitter. He follows me. We were talking. He told me that he had this book coming out. We've really been spurred about the whole independent, you know, creator, creator own thing. And he brought it to my attention. I checked it out, went to his site, found out what it was about, read some reviews. I was interested. I bought it and I wasn't disappointed at all. This was really a fantastic comic. And like I said before, you know, yeah, they might be superheroes, but it's not really about that. There are similarities between being a superhero and the pitfalls of being a superhero and relationships. What it reminds me of is stuff that a lot of us dealt with in college, thinking that we can't live without somebody for the rest of our natural lives. And then you get let down. and It's like, OK, you put and invested so much time into somebody that you've forgotten about everything else. So how do you reclaim yourself? This was a great comic, but it's a 28-page story, 36 pages and all, and that includes the covers and whatnot. This was a fantastic book. Um, once again, go to uh, www.andrewtunney.com slash comics slash girl and boy, and you will find it there. Suggested for mature readers. Once again, this is not for kids. Please believe it's not for kids. But this, like I said, deals with adult themes, but for doing so, he did a great job. So props to Andrew Tunney for that. The second thing I want to talk to you about is recently I went to a concert. I got to see my favorite R&B group of all time, New Edition. All six members, Ronnie, Bobby, Johnny, Ricky, Mike, and Ralph all together. Uh, they just kicked off their road to their 30th anniversary tour because they'll be together. They will have performed as New Edition for, for 30 years as of February 2013. So they're kicking off their national tour all together again for the first time in a few years. They actually started up, started the tour circuit a little bit last year all together, all six of them at the Essence Music Festival and hopped on some spots here and there. Now, my wife never had the opportunity to see New Edition at their prime uh, during the Heartbreak Tour and then on the short-lived Home Again a reunion tour in the 90s. I was fortunate enough to see them during any Heartbreak Tour she really wanted to see New Edition. I really wanted to see New Edition. Again, at least all six members together. The missus picked up the tickets, and we went and went. Now, we get there, and the opening act is Casey and JoJo. Well, actually, before the opening act, it was this um, local kid, young guy, you know, sharply dressed, you know, very good singer, sang some covers, sang an original song. Crowd was very nice to him, polite to him, wished him well, and he was on his way. Now, Casey and JoJo is supposed to open before New Edition. And for those who don't know who Casey and JoJo is, those are the brothers that used to be part of the R&B group Jodeci back in the late back in the 90s, and then you know went on to additional fame as just a duo. And I'm sure if you've been to a wedding, you heard the song "All My Life," that's them. You know them. R&B heads know who they are. 
Well, back in 2010, they, or was it 2009, they were sent away to rehab. They went to rehab because they had substance abuse problems. Their rehab stint was rough. In fact, it was so rough, they had so much alcohol in their bloodstream that they had to get blood transfusions to get it to get that alcohol out of their system, period. Rehab was over. They were going to continue to rehabilitate and try to, you know, just live better and treat themselves better and, and hopefully get back to where they once were. Well, needless to say, I don't think that's happened. We get to the show. Like I said, we get our seats. We're waiting for Casey and JoJo to come out before a new edition perform. And I have high hopes. I have high, the highest hope that they're going to come out and do a great little 30-minute set. Then we can see new edition and all is good and all is well. My wife, on the other hand, had her doubts because it's Casey and JoJo. She saw them at the peak of their careers during the, uh, during a Jodeci tour in the, in the 90s. And she felt that they'll probably be all jacked up and it's going to be a bad performance. House lights dim. They come out. Casey starts singing Life. Well, one of one of their hits off of one of the Casey and JoJo albums. Crowd goes ballistic. Everything sounds great. I'm like, okay, this is working out wonderful. He's singing. He's jamming. Everything is cool. Then he turns into another song. He starts singing If You Think You're Lonely Now. And in the middle of singing the song, he hops on a KC hops on a security guard's back. And, the, and like the group of security guards walk him around the floor level. We're on the floor level of um, for this show. We're like 15 rows from the uh, stage. And he looks like Yoda hopped on Luke Skywalker's back. And a bunch of security guards just like walked him all around the floor while he's singing. And JoJo is just standing on the stage like, what the hell am I supposed to be doing? To which then toward the end of the song, JoJo says, Casey, get your ass back up on the stage. So Casey gets back on the stage. Crowd is still happy. They do another song where Casey has the lead. Everything is great. I'm like, okay, this is cool. Then they let JoJo sing his song. That's when the problems begin. Casey already looked a little inebriated. JoJo kind of looked out of it. But when they finally let JoJo sing a solo song, JoJo couldn't sing anymore. Even if he whispered, he couldn't sing. And... It was just like this incoherent mumble. And if he tried to push, it sounded like somebody had like, you know, basically like shoved glass down his throat. And people started like screaming at him, yelling at him, go back to rehab and stuff like that. It was really sad. And then Casey would try to come and back up JoJo and and like over, you know, and sing and make up for the fact that JoJo could not perform. And then they left. Then they left the stage 15 minutes into the 30 minute set. And the crowd didn't really know what to think about it. They didn't boo. They didn't cheer. They just didn't know what to think about it. House lights came back up. And they said, new edition will be out in a couple minutes. And everybody's just looking. And my wife looks at me. I look at her. We both say, what the fuck was that? So then the house lights dim again. Casey and JoJo come back out, finish their set. It's still a hot mess. They try to sing All My Life. Casey can still sing. But even he's winded. And JoJo still can't sing. Even if he whispers, he can't sing. So it's bad. So I don't know who allows them to continue to open or sing or tour. It has to stop because they are a hot mess. And come to find out, I just thought this was a one-time occurrence. (laughs) But after the missus did some research from previous concerts that they were at, come to find out this is an occurring theme. Somebody needs to pull them off the tour wagon and somebody just needs to get them some help because I don't know what the hell has happened. It's just bad. Now, 
back to the positive part. So Casey and JoJo are done. We're excited. You know, new additions coming out. They got six stools out there, six mic stands. So like, okay, everybody's gonna be there. It's gonna be great. House lights dim, and you know, the music starts playing. The band's out there, jam getting ready to go. A new edition comes out, and it's Ronnie, Johnny, Ricky, Mike, and Ralph. And like some people are like, where's Bobby? Where's Bobby? Where the-? They were singing new edition songs that Bobby wasn't involved in, but people are still freaking out because Bobby's not there. Bobby's not there. You know, they sang like Hot Tonight off the Bad Boy, um, off of their only album they did with Bad Boy. Then they turned around and did like three tracks from the Any Heartbreak album. They did If It Isn't Love, You're Not My Kind of Girl, and Crucial, back to back to back. Crowd goes wild. And then they cut to their 1996 album, Home Again, and they sing their first single off of that, Hit Me Off, and Bobby's got the lead on that. People are really freaking out because they think Bobby isn't coming out. And as soon as the song starts, right before Bobby's verse hits, Bobby walks on stage, crowd goes crazy again. The show was nonstop from start to finish. They performed for like two hours and 15 minutes nonstop, and they went through all the new edition hits. They went through some of Bobby's hits, Bell Biv DeVoe's hits, Johnny Gill's hits, Ralph Tresman's hits. I mean, and they, and they couldn't sing everything, and that was the whole thing. I mean, but they sang a lot. It was great. It had like a lot of cool medleys. They they would start with new edition stuff, cut to some slow jams, sing everybody's slow jams. So you hear my my my, Roni, sensitivity, and when will I see you smile again? They do the up tempo stuff, new edition tracks, and cut to Bell Biv DeVoe, Poison. Which, by the way, the crowd lost their shit when Poison came on. Lost their shit. It was awesome. Flat out awesome. Bobby sang My Prerogative, went back to some more new edition cuts, like old school stuff like Candy Girl and um, Jealous Girl, Did You Get My Secret, all this stuff. It's so many songs, so many songs. It's such a fun time. It was the best concert performance I've seen ever. I mean, but then again, I'm a big new edition fan. But to me, it was better than seeing them during the Any Heartbreak Tour. It was just, they were on point. The dance steps were tight. They were dressed to the T. It was it was it was great. One of the best concert experiences ever. Ever. I will never forget it. My wife was pleased. And that made up for the KC and JoJo performance. Massively. <laughs> Just I wish New Edition continued best on this tour. Like I said, they're on their road to their 30th anniversary. They signed a deal with Interscope Records. They're supposed to have an album come out next year. And for me, I just want this to work because if, you, if you're a New Edition fan like I am, you know they get together, they fight about something, they break up, they go do their own thing for a few years and something brings them back together. Then they break up again because somebody can't get along with somebody and they go back on their own terms again. This time, though, this reunion, not saying that the other reunions weren't genuine, but this felt right. So I hope they can make this last, even if they want to do their own things, as long as the, as long as they split out and do their own things and everybody's cool and not on, like, on fighting terms, cool. But if you get an opportunity to go see New Edition, go. It's worth it. Just make sure Casey and JoJo is not the opening act and you'll be all right.
I did some reading because the only time I get to read books is when I'm on vacation. Oh, shit. So what did you read? I read, I had the time to read two books. I read volume one of Stan Lee's Soldier Zero, created by Stan Lee, but written by Paul Cornell with art by Javier Pena and Sergio Reno. And then I read DC Comics Presents 100-page spectacular The Metal Men. Uh, with stories by Giffen, Dematis, and Kevin McGuire. I'm going to start with Soldier Zero. Okay, I have not read this. I'm telling you something, dude. This was freaking awesome. Really? Yes, yes. And I had my doubts. I got this for like $4.99 like over a year ago from Discount Comic Book Service. Okay? They had it on sale, and I just went ahead and bought it, you know, sight unseen. My biggest concern was, okay, there's sla- you know, Stan Lee's slapping his name on this, and this is probably going to be bad. We've seen some of the Stan Lee stuff from, like, the Stan... Uh, just imagine Stan Lee doing DC. Some of that was good. Some of that was bad. And, like, some I've other- never read any of that either. Some of it was good. Just don't read the one. The Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman one was pretty good. Uh, the Superman one was okay. The Batman one was really good. But the Crisis one, awful. Do not read that. I was so excited to read that, and I read it, and, like, you know how when you was a kid, and you would go to McDonald's because it was that certain Happy Meal toy you wanted, and, right. you know, you had all the other ones, and you get and you get there, and you ask for a Happy Meal, and they're like, we ran out of toys. That's the, And then, you like, you start crying on the inside because your feelings hurt, and then your fries are cold. <laughs> that was the feeling I had reading that issue of uh, Just Imagine Stan Lee doing Crisis. So, anyway. Um, but Paul Cornell's a hell of a writer. He's a talented writer. So I was like, you know what? I, let's give it a go. So I take it with me to Marco Island, and I start reading it. And let me give you a gist of the story. The premise is this. Um, having lost the use of his legs during the Afghanistan war, Captain Stuart Troutman returns stateside with an understandingly negative attitude towards combat and violence. But his convictions are put to the test when a devastating meteor shower brings an alien parasite that transforms him into the ultimate weapon. It collects um, the first four issues of uh, of Soldier Zero. It ends on a cliffhanger, and it's it's good for it's good for this one reason. Paul Cornell. I mean, don't get me wrong. The art by uh, Javier Pena and Sergio Reno are excellent. The use of colors uh, to uh, denote scenes, fantastic. But it's Cornell's writing that makes it worthwhile because the big problem with like a lot of Stan Lee projects before the boom stuff is that you see the character. But you don't know any of the characters' convictions. You don't, you know, you don't, you really don't feel anything for any of the characters. And in this book, you do, and that's what Paul Cornell is able to bring out. Paul Cornell is able to make the characters three dimensional instead of just being these two D, these two, you know, these two D characters that are like, okay, I'm handicapped and I'm mad at the world. Well, it's more than that. You know what I mean? <clears throat> With Captain Troutman, you know, he's no longer in the military. He's a professor. And, you know, he does have those moments when he says, look, I'm not helpless. I can do things even though I'm in a wheelchair. All right. I can I can I can do stuff. And that stuff comes about sometimes. But it's not to the point where they're like drilling you upside the head with it, with like how like a lot of books sometimes will do stuff dealing with like handicaps and stuff. And, and, and I appreciate that because sometimes when you hit, you know, when you go and hit too hard on stuff like that, it kind of will pull me away from reading the book. The one thing I like, also I liked about the book is the design for Soldier Zero or this alien technology, um, this alien suit that emerges with, um, with uh, Troutman. Because the thing is, is that Captain Troutman can't walk anymore. He's paralyzed from the waist down. But when he meets, when he teams up with this alien host, 
he's able to like walk again and have all these cool powers and stuff. The suit is a little bit reminiscent of Iron Man, but it's not Iron Man. Because I know like some people probably looked at that outfit and it's like, oh, this is gonna be the Iron Man ripoff. Dude, this is nothing like Iron Man. Nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. I really suggest you read it. I know you can find this trade on the cheap. And now I'm going to get volume two of this as well. Um, because I think all the Stan Lee Boom series books went for just, they, were, they had a set run of 12 issues each, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to get volumes two and three of this. I could read these, I could read these issues individually and know what was going on, regardless of where I stepped in. In my personal opinion, even though it is, you know, even though this isn't a trade, so I was able to read everything back to back to back. I felt I could catch up either way. Then, and the artwork is beautiful. I was very pleased, extremely pleased. So, I would definitely, definitely uh, recommend um, this book. I read it in one sitting, and it's seldom that I'll read a trade paperback or a trade in one sitting. Normally, I'll read a couple of chapters, put it down, come back, finish the rest. I read that in one sitting, and the last book I read in one sitting. You know, and, not, and that doesn't take anything away from a book if I don't read it in one sitting. But the last book I read in one sitting was the Metamorpho Year One Trade Paperback by Jurgens and Norton, and that was an excellent book. In my I don't life. think I've ever read that either. You need to read that. You you honestly need to read that. That book was fantastic. But yeah, Soldier Zero is, is dope. I like it. And then at the end they had like a preview of uh, the Traveler, and that was pretty cool. So I'm like, damn it, I gotta go get, I gotta go find the Traveler. And and then I'll probably want to read Starborn. So and I think Starborn has art by Carrie Randolph, who's like one of my favorite artists. So so damn it, boom, you got my money again. The Metal Man 100 page spectacular. This has all the backup stories from the Doom Patrol. Um, when remember when DC was doing the uh, co-features, mm -hmm. it has all those stories in it. Oh, so that's from um, uh, uh, what series was that in? Um, Doom Patrol. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. It's, uh, I just gave you a monster burp into the microphone. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it was from Doom Patrol. It was like the first six issues or something. Seven issues, maybe? Yeah. I'm trying to think. Um, it was It was like basically like all... It was like the entire run of stories from... It was the entire run of co-feature stories from the Doom Patrol uh, series. Plus, in the beginning of this 100-page spectacular, they took like an old Bob Haney story which was like a to be continued in showcase number one and it had to do with uh, Batman the Justice League and the Metal Men and they took this Bob Haney story and Kevin McGuire did like redid all the artwork for it and I don't know where this came from and I don't know why it's in the book and I'm like okay maybe this is in, this is in the book to, to show people like okay these are the metal men and this is what they do but it didn't really make a lot of sense to me i mean the story was cool and i get it because like i've read comic books forever but somebody that's never read a comic book will probably say i don't understand what the fuck is going on here because you're literally thrown in the middle of a story and there's like a like there's a there's a comic book that talks about the stuff that happened before and then there's a comic book that takes care of the stuff that happens afterwards and it's from way back in the day but 
you're looking at McGuire artwork, so you smile. So, um, but that was all right. But now, as far as the um, the book goes, like the other stories that were part of the Doom Patrol co-features, it's funny stuff, man. It's like if you were a fan of the Justice League Bwahaha era, this is going to mm-hmm. be this is going to be right up your alley. Yeah, and yeah. you have you know the whole team, um, which includes a uh, gold, platinum. Who goes by Tina? She refuses to go by platinum. She she wants to be called Tina. Uh, Mercury, lead, iron. I think yeah, Mercury, lead, iron, and also there's uh, copper. They've added another female to the group, copper. Um, that no one acknowledges or listens to. Exactly, and gold is a complete asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gold is a complete asshole, and like it takes Tina like I think three or four issues to finally realize that she constantly. Always is pining for the doctor, but she recognizes it, but still does it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the adventures that they get into are just ridiculous. And then there's this side story about this uh, sci-fi television show that gets canceled, and the lead actor is like down on his luck. He slips and bumps his head, to which or he, did he either slip and bump his head or he, did he get hit by a car? I can't remember, but he ends up thinking he's an actual character from the show and tries to destroy the metal men. Ends up blowing and ends up blowing up their house, um, yep. and then they get into a fight with Giganta, which is fun. Isn't one of the metal men like really into into the show, and he's trying to get him to sign like his action figures or something? Yeah, Mercury. Because um, yeah. <laughs> like he he bought like another Blu-ray DVD special edition that had an additional yeah, yeah, like yeah, uh, right. additional like forty nine seconds of unseen material. Right. I'm like this <clears throat> man. It was hilarious. <laughs> it, this was really funny. That um, was a good. Yeah, it was a good. Uh, I remember it. I do remember it. And and it makes me as always. It makes me appreciate the artwork artwork of Kevin McGuire. He is he is just great. The one thing I think Giffen and Dam- Giffen and Dematis do well is that when it comes down to the metal men, they all each character has its, has their own distinct personality, and some writers can't break that down very well. Like I said before, Gold's the asshole, and he's also a dick. Mercury is the one who always wants to, who is always angry and wants to cuss at people. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have Iron. Iron is like this old school television buff. He knows everything, you know. Is yeah, I think Iron is the old school television buff. Lead is just, he's just there. And um, and then like I said, Tina has just has that infatuation with the Doctor. She recognizes it, wants to become an independent woman, but at the same time, she goes right back to um, you know back to her state of always trying to get with Doctor Magnus. Oh, and Doctor Magnus is just completely aloof. <laughs> yeah. And they end up, and they also end up fighting a um, a league of like robotic uh, sentient uh, mannequins called the Click in a mall. That shit was hilarious. So there's a there's a lot going on in in, in this uh, 100 page spectacular, but it's it's worth it. I got it on sale through mycomicshop.com, so I mm-hmm. went ahead and bought it because when this came out, it was like eight bucks. I got it for less than eight bucks, but 100 pages, you know, 100 pages like for what I paid for it, dude, this is a steal. So right. um, yeah, I like this a lot. It was it was dope um, because DC Comics Presents had a bunch of 100 page spectaculars uh, last year. And so I know they had this, they had Chase, um, they had a Batman 100-page spectacular, and a few others. But this is the one that stood out most to me because it was the team of Giffen, DeMattis, and McGuire. It was cool. But those were the books that I read. I got my uh, DuckTales, uh, Darkwing Duck crossover. It features Gizmo Duck I haven't read yet. I got Vo- <laughs> Hey, man. Those, those DuckTales books, that whole Disney afternoon line that Boom had, 
was awesome. Mm-hmm. It, dude, it was great. And I'm salty because, you know, I don't know if if, Dis- if um, Marvel Disney will ever, will ever, you know, do those again. I know that they're about to do a Toy Story line, but these were the books that like I connected with. I, I can't wait to finish reading that. And I got Super Pro KO Volume Two by Jared Williams that I have to read that I'm really stoked for. And if you haven't read Volume One of Super Pro KO, you need to read it because it's all about wrestling. It's like wrestling meets manga meets american comics <laughs> listen that's a lot of meetings yo no 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 no. you need to read it seriously i mean even if i have to send you a copy you need to read super pro ko dude because it will take you back to the days of like the uh wwf wcw war it would take you back to that era there's a lot of um inside talk in this book you have a wrestler, a new wrestler by the name of Joe uh, Joe Samiano, that's trying to break in into like you know into this league, you know into this wrestling league, and you got like all these wrestlers that have all these issues, dude. You gotta read Super Pro KO. I cannot stress enough that you must because you used to wrestle and you're a wrestling fan. You need to read this book. I will. I'm I'm, I'm for real. I'm gonna send you a copy. You think I'm playing? All right. I'm gonna send you some copies. Send me a copy. I'm not scared. <laughs> I'll get to it when. Uh... Dude, <laughs> I turned around and I was like, yeah, I'm going to switch my shipping to monthly because in that way I could read trades in between and I could do this and I could do Man, with this move, I am so far behind on my reading. If DCBS offered bi-monthly, I would take that or tri-monthly, tri-yearly, try, try, try something. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, dude, I am so far behind. I am just about to get another shipment in because I get it once a month. I think it's coming on Monday or Tuesday. I am still not even a quarter of the way through with all the DC number fours. And I'm getting all the number fives plus my G.I. Joe books and my Marvel books and all that cool Action Lab stuff that's coming out. And I am so far behind, dude, because between the move and then I and then I read Walking Dead volume 15 that boring ass trade but then i read gi joe classic gi joe volume 13 you know i think it was 13 that put me farther behind too but you know me when i see that shit i can't stop if there's a classic gi joe in there and that, that's it that's all that's getting done <laughs> you don't want to do you don't want to know my my reading pile you don't because oh, no it, mine's mine's huge i mean boxes upon boxes mine I, I, mine isn't a pile donnie donnie mine is like an office okay mine is the office and and i literally i honestly stopped buying monthly probably seven seven to ten months ago if not longer than that because now i start to think about it in 2011 i didn't buy monthly anymore i didn't buy any books right i would just like go to if i had store credit somewhere i would just buy like okay i want to read these let me get these real quick put them over in that pile because i still got to read these over here and um and like i recently got rid of some some books some older books that like i read a number of times i'm like i'm never going to read these again why are they still in my house they have no value to me so you know i got rid of those and then i was able to bring in the salvo collection and bring and bring that into my bring that into the office and now i'm trying to start on that too and so it's dude it's crazy it is absolutely crazy but i love reading and i love comics so it's right. but at the same time i'm glad i no longer buy monthly because i would really be really pissed at myself i'm like yeah dude there's like three years of comics right there fucker you spent all yeah. this money and you haven't read shit so i would be real upset with myself 
I still have volume one and two of the Hellboy Library editions to read that I got when they first came out and have not even cracked them open. They're still in the plastic. I, I have I swear to God, every time I think that there would be time to sit and read, I, something else would come up, you know? Yeah. Going to monthly will still be the best thing for you, man. Uh, honestly, just save yourself the grief. Don't even try to do that week, that bi-weekly or weekly shipping anymore. Save yourself the drama. No, I've been doing monthly. And you see, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I've been doing monthly. I said I'd try to do tri yearly if they let me. This is crazy. I, I know, I know how you feel. I mean, hell, I even bought on purpose to like stop buying a certain comics. Um, few years ago when there was this company that was doing the collect quote unquote digital collections of uh, Marvel comics granted they didn't clean them up they just literally just scanned them as is and put them as PDFs of the mm -hmm. Avengers uh, Fantastic Four and the Hulk man I think I read like two issues of the Avengers and like two issues of Fantastic Four and one issue of the Hulk I ain't got back to them motherfuckers yet <laughs> You know what I mean, and like this, all on like they're all on DVDs. You know they're all the you know they're all legit, not bootleg, but still it's the you know they're pretty shitty scans. But for what but for what I paid, it's like I get what I pay for. You know I'm like right. you, you gave me like over 500 issues of um yeah I think it was like over five. It was like the entire run of the Avengers from issue one all the way to New Avengers issue one. So Damn. yeah, dude, and it was like all, and they're all in PDFs. But the thing is, is that like issues one all the way to like I say about two thousand and three look like shit because, like I said, they didn't clean them up. They just literally took a scanner, took the pages, drop them in, <laughs> and then you know they ain't clean up nothing. So like, if there's a ketchup stain on a page, there's a ketchup you wanna, stain. You want to do page. that for me again? What would they do? Just you know, put it on the scanner. <laughs> And <laughs> listen, man, Michael Winslow. That's terrible. Michael Winslow came to my school as a kid, so you know. Stop it. <laughs> but so there's I, like three people out there who know Michael Winslow is, and Michael Winslow is one of them. Leave Michael Winslow alone. He ain't do nothing to you. I wonder if he's gonna be in the um, in the uh, the remake. Do you know they're doing a remake of that, right? Uh, yeah, I heard. I, I'm, you know, I, I heard. It doesn't surprise me, but. The percentages, like in last last year, there were like a either last year or the year before, or I'm sorry, let me let me rephrase that. In the last two years, there have been a bunch of remakes of movies of like old school movies and and TV shows that were turned into movies, and those didn't profit as well as Hollywood thought they would. So I'm starting to hope that they take the idea of doing a police academy and just putting it on the back burner. I doubt it because it's not like the Police Academy series itself costs a lot to make. You know, all those movies were done on the cheap. They could do another one on the cheap, which would then lead to a series of direct-to-DVD releases. Oh, my Lord. What? Now, I'm looking it up, but it's not out yet, out there yet, so they must not have cast it. And we got Police Academy, Police Academy 2, their first assignment, Police Academy 3, back in training, Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, Police Academy... They just called it in 94. They didn't even, it, oh, wait, no, no. Police Academy 5, assign, Assignment Miami, Miami Beach. Beach. And then Mission to Moscow. Yes, the the film that guy actually got put on hold um, because Mission to Moscow, while they were filming that, there was an actual coup in Moscow. So and they were in Moscow while, while that went down. So they had to put the filming on hold, and the film got delayed uh, for a long time, and it went 
It didn't even hit the movie theater, if I remember right. I think it went direct to HBO or direct to video. And there was also a Police Academy cartoon. I do remember that. With a theme song by the Fat Boys. <laughs> yes, sir. And, <laughs> and wasn't there, there was a TV series, too, for like a year. Oh, there was, wasn't there? Oh, my. And I'm sure it had uh, the dude from Punky Brewster. Michael Winslow right now. Yeah, I didn't know he did the uh, he did the voices for the Gremlins. He was in Cheech and Chong's next movie. He played the welfare comedian. Something called Underground Aces. The White Shadow. He played student. He was in Nice Dreams as a Superman nut. Uh, let's see. Heidi song. He did it. I guess he was he was a mountain. That must have been a cartoon. Then he got his big break. Police Academy. And then, uh, let's see, he did a couple of movies I never heard of. Love Lines, Alphabet City, Grandview, USA. Any of this? No? No. Then Police Academy 2. Then Star Chaser, The Legend of Orn. Oh, that was a, that's an animated movie. Uh, yeah, I'm figuring a few of these are uh, Police Academy 3. Then he did The Love Boat, the TV series in 86. He played Spencer Wilson for three episodes. I don't know if that's just how long that went on. Damn, dude. I've never heard of half of these things that it... Wow. He was in the New Kids on the Block um, cartoon. <laughs> he played additional voices. Well, at least he got paid, man. At least he got... Harry some- and the Hendersons, the TV series. He played Chuck the Great. <laughs> You need to stop. You need to stop right now. But, that is but the man still gets work. Like, And if I remember right, WGN, they have like this 80s or 90s movie thing, and he's the host. So he still gets work. Yeah, uh, for, uh, he comes to Connecticut quite a bit. He works for a promoter out here. He's a ni- I mean, he's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine worked with him. I never worked with him before. He told me he opened for him a couple of times. He's a nice guy. And his act's pretty funny, he said. Yeah, when I said I may have said this a long time ago. No, I think I never I never did talk about it, but I mentioned it. Um, he, when I was a junior or senior in high school, the principal was friends with Michael Winslow and his family, so he came to our school and uh, you know talked about his career and you know all the high school stuff. Stay off drugs, you know, don't drink, blah blah blah. And then he did his act for like you know twenty or thirty minutes, and like and like kids lost their fucking minds. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was like Showtime at the Apollo. And, <laughs> like, I mean, like, kids like went fucking berserk. Yeah, man, it was it, really cool. He just wrapped up a movie last year called Ginger Clown, and it's a horror comedy. There is no synopsis for it whatsoever. And it Tim Curry, Brad Dorif, Sean Young, Lance Hendrickson, Michael Linslow, and Aaron Hayes. Wait a minute, they got Bishop from Alien? Yep. Yo, that might be on Netflix Insta streaming right now. You might need to go check that no, out. No, it says it says not released yet. Okay, it's coming. Don't worry, it'll be a double feature with Bitch Slap 2. <laughs> That's not real. <laughs> I know it's not. Please tell me it's not yeah, real. It's, it's in post-production at this very moment. Mm. What, Bitch Slap 2? No. <laughs> Ginger Clown. 
speaking of uh, clowning, but not ginger clowning, as, uh, as of the time of this recording, Donnie Salvo has the most downloaded PKD Black Box Network episode of all time. Yay, yay. The Archie's, uh, the Sabrina, the Teenage Witch featuring the Archie clan episode is the most downloaded episode in the history of the PKD Black Box Network, uh, trumping an episode of the PKD Black Box, which uh, guest starts Super Ugly and Dave DeWanch. Um, Donnie, congratulations, sir. Thank you. And thanks for everybody who downloaded it. Yeah. Yeah, I do the, I mean, for real, the attention that, like, that you've been getting for this episode is absolutely crazy, dude. I mean, absolutely crazy. It shot through the roof the day it was the day it was posted, okay? I know, it was crazy. Where it, are all these people coming from, man? I, I don't know. It, like, it shot through the roof. And then, you know, it was cool. It just kept climbing the charts, climbing the charts. You know, I keep up on things. I would, like, text Donnie. I would text Donnie, like, yo, you're at this place right now. Like, shut up. That ain't happening. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it did. And then, like, you know, and I go away for a few days. I come back. It's just shot up the charts some more. And then there was a period of time where you were, like, number two. And you were about, I say at the time, 80, 90 downloads away from tying number one. So I go on vacation. I come back. You're like 100 over now. <laughs> you're like number one with a bullet. So, number one with a This is the top 99. Number one on a bullet. It's Donnie Salad with the Archie. Number with the, I don't even remember what number it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man. For real, man. It's, 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 it's a great thing. And What's nice is, is that people continue, if this is the first episode they've ever listened to, they're going back and they're downloading older episodes of Tales from the Attic. They're, list- awesome. they're listening to our other shows on the network, like PKD Black Box, Carol Chronicles, those numbers have boosted up too. So it's a really cool thing, man. And it's, it's just so fucking awesome. So, so I can't say thanks enough, man. Uh, you know, like you really... I like it. Oh, no, no, thank me. Thank the people. They're the ones that downloaded us. Yes, yes, thank the, yes, thank you, people. Thank you all. And the people, the people, people, the people, the people, people, the people, the people. Have you been getting emails and stuff about it? Not too much. I got like one or two, and I just I, I've been bad about answering them because I, I well, it's just because I just moved into this house, man. I ain't got time. <laughs> it's okay. Ain't no- I edit. I edit. It's not that I don't like these. I love these people, but I, I just I'm, I'm trying to put together a house. I got to edit shows for my other show. Then I've been recording a lot with with you and Daryl. And then my wife makes me pay attention to her. <laughs> and I got a job. Yes, and you got to see exactly. You have a lot of hats. Trying to get back on the comedy horse. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD podcast network and is available at HHWLOD.com and is also available via iTunes. And you can still go to PKDmedia.com to get our podcast, check out our form, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Game from the Store for free. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment or you can email us at blackbox at PKDmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.